what are they like? Fish and people. Come and see. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Keith. I'm Conrad. So on this episode, we're going to talk about The Underwater Menace to celebrate its release on vinyl. Um, how, how did you guys first come across this story? Yeah, Conrad? Um, I think it was when the DVD came out. Um, I would have seen some telesnaps back in the day, but yeah, I think um, I generally wait until I get as close to the original things I can get. So yeah, it was, that was like 2015 now, I think that was. It was the final DVD release. Uh, it it was the, the very last. Yeah, I, I remember. I, I joined in with a campaign to help get it shifted because some some brilliant guy uh, sort of mounted a one man campaign to get it, uh, you know, to get it released. Because at the time, uh, I remember Steve Roberts just went, "Oh, you know, the range is dead," and it had gone really quiet. And it really did seem like we weren't going to get it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sort of helped make a nuisance of of the campaign a bit and I think I made sure that everybody got it and, and everyone could see that who else all their various heads of department could see each other had got it and I sort of was like CCing in Stephen Moffat and anybody who had listened <laughs> just to sort of scare them a bit but anyway yeah no so that's when I saw it yeah DVD Ooh, what about you Keith how about you I, oh I saw part three on a, like a random episode they put with the uh, Ice Warriors VHS about <sighs> 400 years ago and then um, I got the audio soundtrack on CD, remember those? And then I've got the um, DVD. And then I'll just wait. I'm not buying vinyl. I think three uh, purchases is enough. <laughs> Come on. You need it again on Glorious Vinyl. What about you, Mark? What, how did you. Yeah, I, I would have been the same. Um, I couldn't remember whether it was the, the Ice Warriors. I mean, I hadn't remembered it was the Ice Warriors. I thought maybe it was on the, uh, the Troughton Years tape that I'd seen it but I know I'd seen the sort of extant episode 3 somewhere along the line um, but yeah, that, uh, unlike Keith I don't still have all my VHS's so I couldn't couldn't refer back to uh, to check that oh I've still got my Ice Warriors one actually it's one I've kept but I obviously don't remember I've, I don't remember watching it by then but yeah that one it came with a little uh, was it a key ring and a and a badge and things they, uh, yeah, they threw a few extras yeah, that one didn't they came with a few little knickknacks I think that one came with a, a CD and a book I think yeah there was the crusade box that came with uh, a key ring and postcards and all sorts oh, I love those things yeah I was um, I was reading um, James Curay Smith's Black Archive on uh, The Underwater Menace recently um, he's uh, I mean the, I really like the Black Archive series but I think his brilliant. his books are essential um, just, just so well written um, and everything and uh, yeah he, he kind of makes quite a funny point about the uh I think at the BBC there was some um, doubt about releasing it because they're saying, well, why are they going to buy it just to get one episode they've never seen before? Uh, and he sort of ah. says, these are people that clearly haven't met many Doctor Who fans. <laughs> yeah. Don't know the market at all, do they? Yeah. <laughs> they felt they had to put the sticker on the DVD that says, uh, you know, contains a previously um, unreleased episode. Um, but um, of course, we're, without extra episodes, we're, we're buying the same stories again and again on different media. So it's <laughs> probably unfounded worry there. Well, I was doing my grand re- um, rewatch, which I'm on at the moment. I was trying to work out just how many copies of uh, Genesis of the Dark I've bought over the years, and it's an astonishing number of formats. Yeah. It must be up there with Sharda now, mustn't it? Or, or Spearhead from Space. Those are the ones that we're going to be taking piles of. Yet we keep doing it. Yeah. So yeah, you you've, been, uh, you've been doing your uh, pilgrimage, uh, Keith. So you've watched this story in context uh, with the the Highlanders before it. Uh, so what what were your sort of thoughts on this story? Watching it in that way. I have to say, it felt very weird going back to rewatch it. Well, to re-listen to it for for this, it felt like cheating, really, like going back to one I'd already seen because. I'm sort of up to uh, mid-season um, 14 now, so to review an old one felt very strange, but watching it at the time, I have to say I did enjoy it more than Highlanders, which I know is probably heresy, but it's more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't listened to the Highlanders for quite a while, but the thing that I remember that stuck out for me from the Highlanders is um, Polly's 
really, really strongly written in it, isn't she? She's um, she's very proactive, and it, a lot of the plans are her ideas. And then she uh, so then she really regresses in the next in. Um, Underwater men is here, and it's yeah. very obvious. Yeah, she's not served well at all, is she? The the sort of like she's scared of the dark, and then um, when they're escaping at the end, um, all that you know, kind of I can't, I can't, I just can't. Um, mm. And and Jamie helps her and stuff, and it's yeah, it's it's a real contrast with the previous story, I think. Jamie yeah, comes he, over much better though, whereas in the moon base, he's definitely relegated to being asleep. In the Underwater Men, surprisingly, you can't really tell that he's been given shared lines. They've, they've, been, they've amalgamated him into it really, really well. Whereas, say, in the next story, they just quite lazily just knock him out, don't they? Mm. Yeah, the Polly that gets the little sleep in this one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think because with this story, you've got to do a lot of work, I think, to kind of glue it together. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the in-story uh, thing that was something to do with the operation. When she got that syringe, that's when, you know, that fish people operation, I think that must have sort of perhaps countered her braveness. You see, I'm really working hard here, but this is not gluing together at all. So that's my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I was trying to critique his um, syringe technique, but uh, it looked pretty good, actually. Oh, yes, of course, you're a health, healthcare professional. Was it, was it sound? It wasn't too bad, actually. He didn't sort of held it right, right in, which is always a good start. <laughs> Unlike between the sea devils, which made me weep. What does he do in that? He injects he... the uh, the worker on the uh, platform and uh, painful. Yeah, for some reason they always insist on doing this thing where they bend people's arms after doing injections, which has never been done by anybody actually giving an injection. At least never by me, anyway. They do that on telly, don't they? They always do that. They bend it, and they inject and bend bend the arm. Where did these things come from? I Never quite sure why. Yeah. It's the same way when they find a corpse and they just sort of glide their hand over the open eyes and they close. <laughs> Whereas in reality, you're sort of tugging on the lens, on the lids for hours trying to get them down. Wow, this took a turn. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is fascinating. Can we just dip into the whole podcast about this, please? The, uh, the the syringe thing is something that prompted a complaint from a representative of the National Society for the Welfare of Children in Hospitals. Uh, a woman from there wrote to the production office and angrily pointed out that um, the 5,000 children who would be having an operation of some sort the following week that would need an anaesthetic would be terrified that they'd be waking up with plastic gills. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's... A, that's... That's a fair criticism, I think. <laughs> that, that, I wouldn't have fancied doing that. That would have been, yeah, they'd have been quite rightly. You don't tell me to do a fish. Yeah. I think most kids would have been thrilled to wake up as with gills. They'd be absolutely yeah, adorable. That's true. They're probably queuing up for them the next day. Going, Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's not a good idea. Sorry, I'm back on back on track again. What do we think of the the Society of Atlantis? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make an awful lot of sense does it not 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 hugely lots of nuclear reactors and no fridge yeah yeah it's it's i have to say i'm i'm really forgiving with plots usually i'm the last one to usually pick up on plot inconsistencies i will generally i'm quite gullible and i'll if i'm having a nice time i'll generally go with everything but i thought well he can sort of you know drain the oceans and uh, and the doctor says he's he he led the field in producing food from the sea but somehow never never quite thought the fridge and it's like yeah. I, I however much you heart really try and make that work in your head it, it doesn't it, it doesn't work does it poor love they do have a route to the surface i can't understand why <laughs> living down there with just literally just go up and live on an island, which they landed on. I mean, they could just live on there quite happily and go somewhere else. There's no need to be down there. I, I, I've got to feel sorry for the poor people of Atlantis. They, they've got cut off from the other countries of the world. They're fearful of outsiders. They're facing food shortages. Yeah, oh. endless ceremonies to go to. The, yeah. the costumes are, are pretty, yeah. pretty... The fashion choices are interesting down there, that's for sure. It's like they've had a Brexit forced on them, isn't it, when they sank into the... Oh, sweet. <laughs> yes, right, yeah, this is what we've got to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It wouldn't be so bad if it was like uh, like the king and whoever's like trying to keep them down there to keep power and stuff, but mm-hmm. 
most of the, uh, I mean, the king is reasonable-ish, especially towards the end. I mean, he's got no reason to be, like, holding on to power and anything. It sort of made him a despot who wanted to keep them down there for a reason. It would be a bit more understandable, but no, they've just quite happily gone up a ladder and, like, lived in the sun. He's sort of written as a reasonable character, but he does preside over slavery, forced operations, uh, ritual sacrifice. Hey, give the guy a break. It's not, have you ever run, tried running around cold heart? Oh, yeah, you have. It's this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's got his own uh, Dominic Cummings figure in the uh, infamous Professor Zaroff. Oh. I'm I'm just going to leave. Yeah, no, the uh, the uh, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite an odd setup down there, and, and the fish people as well. I'm not I'm not quite sure of the stages of the Atlanteans and the fish people and where it all. They seem to be a they, yeah, there are species of many. Uh, what, what am I trying to say? Stages of evolution. Let's say. I mean, some of those fish mm. people are full on fish, and then some of them are sort of. You know, just half going it with the scuba, the scuba masks. It's interesting. And live out of the water as well, because a lot of them are in the market. Oh yeah. Well, they're just to make the numbers up. Well, obviously, but uh, there was a big thing I remember years ago saying, "Oh, the plot's terrible, but the sets are marvelous." But I can't say I really got much of an impression of them being that good. No, the 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 big face of Amdo is quite impressive, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, and what you can see of the telesnaps when that floods and the um, the water pouring out of the the eyes and mouth would have looked quite striking, I think, before it collapsed. Yeah, that looks good. And you, you've got, I suppose, like you know, the cage going underwater and stuff at the end. But yeah, the rest of it. I mean, there's a, there's a wardrobe at one point, like a full on Yunnan's <laughs> wardrobe is, is is there, which is yeah, a, yeah. The style is all over the place. And the costumes are really, you know, you've got you've got some miners' donkey jackets, and you've got wetsuits, and you've got um, what else have you got? Um, Southwesters in there mm. in the mix, and then you full on shell dress right through. They, they've got the full gamut there. Ben in a wetsuit, however, yum yum. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 good times. And don't they look handsome, my lads? Jamie and Ben in their lovely wetsuits. They do. And Polly in her lovely shell skirt, you know, that's yeah. very cute. You know, it's a little seaweed skirt with a shell bodice that doesn't look that comfy. Well, according to, yeah, Annika Will says it was very um, very painful because the uh, edges kept cutting all the time. So. Yeah, that's, be careful with your shell dress there. So, yeah, this, it's, this, it's, I think what we're trying to say, I'm trying to say here is, like, it's all over the place. Like, lo- logically, costume-wise, set-wise, everything, it really runs the gamut from, from it's, it's, it's bonkers, I think, isn't it? Plus, we seem to be indicating it's all very visual as well, which makes it its release on vinyl a very odd choice, really. But I must admit, what I listened to it today with the um, CDs, which has got um, Annika Will's um, narration on it, and it was ah. much, and I enjoyed it far more that way than I did watching the DVD because the reconstructions on that are fairly poor, well, mm. entirely poor, to be honest. For some reason, they're given this bizarre instruction just to use the telesnaps, not to put any of the um, surviving footage in, which was a weird thing, and not to have any narration. So it's genuinely really hard to tell what's going on sometimes. With with you got the actual narration from the CD, which I'm assuming is what they're using for the record. Record? How old am I? For the uh, for the vinyl, which is um, makes it far easier to understand what's going on, especially with the, um, the sacrifice scene at the beginning with the sharks and everything. Because if you just watch the telesnaps, it's fairly fairly hard to work out what's actually happening. Yeah, I felt like the, the reconstructions could have used some uh, some captions or something like flashing up there. Was there ever a reason, though, why that instruction was giving just to do that? Because I think the um, the people who are doing the, uh, the DVD were prepared to, like, do a better reconstruction, weren't they? I mean, originally they'd intended to do an animation or a high tremor. And for some reason, it was just said, no, it's got to be that and that only, unless they're planning something a bit more spectacular for a a Blu-ray set mm. or into the future, but it's a thing. People are prepared to do a better copy. I mean, even in the um, uh, loose cannon, they'd have done a copy. I suppose they'd have quite happily given over what they'd done for um, a better reconstruction than what we got. 
Mm. Yeah, I think I think at the time with the DVD release, from what I can remember, is it was it was sort of a miracle to get the thing out at all. It was it was. Um, so yeah, it didn't. It was very much. It felt very cobbled together. There was a documentary that had been sitting there for a good couple of years, and there was it was very sort of bits and pieces. So I think it was. Um, it felt very kind of lashed together. Uh, I think so. It, it. I'm sure everyone involved did everything they could to get as much. Of course, you know, they all the mm-hmm. Doctor Who fans, you know, professionals would have done an amazing job on putting it all together, and I'm sure they will for a Blu-ray one day. But um, I think then it was just quite. It was very just patched together by BBC. I think. Yeah, I think if they do eventually animate um, the the episodes one and four, they'd be the ones that could really benefit from that because you've got the like the sacrifice with the sharks and things. You can you know without the limitations of the the budget of the time, you know, you could do something really impressive with that in an animation. Um, and yeah. Same with the flooding and the uh, destruction of, of the temple and everything in episode four. Uh, again, freed of the budgetary constraints could be very, very yeah. impressive on uh, on an animation. Um, and it's only two episodes to do as well. Do you mean Doctor Who's mass murder at the end? Yeah. It's, uh, oh, yeah. It was a bit of an extreme solution, wasn't it? <laughs> wow. Um, the whole thing is, like, his plans are just like, uh, he says, well, let's, um, let's incite the fish people to strike. And somebody says, what will that achieve? And he goes, well, I don't know, but it's a start, isn't it? It's... Uh, <laughs> Well, unionising is generally a good place to start, but yeah, his plans are a little, a little iffy. And uh, it's probably the only, not many stories where um, they decide to kidnap the villain either, is it? Oh, yeah. Which, um, <laughs> and then really feebly let him go when he puts on a really bad act. Yeah, the, the nice things, the unexpected things in it, um, I like that though. Like It, it is unusual for the, uh, for the good guys to kidnap the villain. And for the villain to pull the old trick of, of feigning illness or injury, um, that's normally something that you'd get the uh, that's true, actually, the yeah. um, So that that's quite a nice side of it. Um, another thing that I think probably goes against the grain of a lot of Doctor Who stories is where the uh, the religious people are, are seen as the well, apart other than wanting to sacrifice them, uh, they they're the more reasonable. Where it, it, generally comes down on the side of science doesn't it whereas the yeah. uh, the, the scientist here is the totally unhinged one it's tricky because he because Sarah basically just starts off mad as they say like sort of all the way through so he's very quickly established as being completely bonkers um, and it doesn't it, it doesn't sort of get slowly unraveled which I think would help or they often you know the scientist often turns out to be mad but there's usually a sort of you know plan or some credibility to them or some Whatever. He just started out mad and just got and stayed mad. So it does. It's, it's a little hard to kind of. Um, it just makes the whole story just a bit, just a bit loose and a bit. Uh, it just doesn't give a direction. I think, which is tricky. Yeah. When your ambition is to blow up the world, I mean, you can't even boast about it, can you? Because there's nobody left. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, yeah. He's 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 out there, all right. I seem to remember that somebody years ago said there was meant to be some sort of subplot about him losing his family. Now, whether this is just fans trying to make it um, um, less ludicrous or not, I don't know. But he was sort of like self-destructive. Whether that was in the original plot or whether people have just decided that was his um, his reasoning later, I don't know. But uh, I've got a vague recollection of that. Yeah, the complete history says that the early drafts had that he'd lost his wife and child in a car accident. Um, and that was why he wanted to destroy the world. But then that was removed um, in favour of the far more logical um, idea that all scientists dream of destroying the world. <laughs> uh, but no, I know what you mean, Conrad. If uh, it, it, it stretches the credulity a little bit that anybody would have listened to him because he is so insane already um, yeah. that, that he's got the year of the king and everything up to this point yeah I think I think saying it stretches the credulity a little bit is a good it's, it's generally a good subtitle for the Undaughted Menace generally it's, <laughs> it's really you know I, and also I, this reason I love Doctor Who is like I, it's, I love doing the work I love kind of you have to fill in that imaginative gap you know however sort of a uh, big the production is or how much money or however well it's directed you know you as a, an audience member you've always got to do the work and I've, I love that I, I love I have no, absolutely no problem them giving us no budget and going with it but it's just there's, I think story wise there's nothing I mean there's there's very little to, to sort of 
to hang its hat on. I noticed the, uh, the the original title for this was Doctor Who Under the Sea, and I was like, "Well, that's a good that's a good start." And then the second draft is called Fish People. I'm like, "Okay, good. We've got some characters there." And it's called The Underwater Menace. I'm like, "Okay, so we've moved." You know, it's, it's like, but that sort of is it, really. It's like it, it's very it's a very thin idea, stretched very 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 thinly, and unfortunately, production doesn't help. Actually, no, that's not true. However good the production is. If it's if the story's that thin and splashy, for want of a better word, you're always going to struggle to to hold it together. Yeah, because on the face of it, Atlantis is a great Doctor Who idea, isn't it? Because it's one of those unexplained uh, either myths or mysteries from the past. Uh, so good, it came back to it a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to remember how many times they came back to it. I, I came up with a time monster, and I just couldn't remember feebly. Couldn't but remember mentioned anymore. again in um, the uh, the demons were mentioned demons. as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's just lots of Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Hasn't Atlantis. Birmingham's all over the world, so maybe there's more uh, more than <laughs> yeah. one Atlantis. But yeah, so it's a really rich idea, and it's a it's great for. Like I said, with Doctor Who, it's kind of inevitable to do it, and it's a really rich sort of scene, but he, they just do it as a quick, jolly trip, really. Mm. Maybe when they do the animation, they'll put in uh, little statues of Ingrid Pitt in the background. I don't yeah. think it'd be little. That's a lot of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be, be quite nice to, um, to to tie the two stories together a little bit, wouldn't it? That's, um, they could do that. They could absolutely. In the animation, if you look at the, I mean, we were looking at the faceless ones recently, and you think about all the in the references mm. and stuff in there. They could have so much fun with this. I could sit. Like, look what they did with the Macro Terror. You know, they really ran with it, and I think they could really run with this. So yeah. this would be actually that's that could be its best form that we can get it in. Really, is with a bit of animation, it could it could actually really really help this story. Animated eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. They are mighty Androgum. Let's let's just get through that in the mix as well. Let's just say they're androgums. Let's just get some. Just this story needs some help. <laughs> it's funny actually. You're talking about the time monster. They're, these are probably uh, widely regarded as the probably the the worst. It's probably widely regarded as the worst Troughton story, and the time monster is the worst Pertwee story, isn't it? And it's uh, it's, it's both times that it went to Atlantis. It's probably why they've pretty much steered clear since then. I don't think it's as bad as Space Pirates. Yeah. Maybe it's a water thing, you know, Warriors of the Deep. It's, it's, there is something really... I mean, it's, it's very difficult to do underwater mm. stuff because it is such a bizarre, mad world. I was trying to think about this. About There's something about fish... There's like there's something just absurd. <laughs> <laughs> that's, actually, that's the alternative. That's the alternative title for this story. There's something about fish, but like there's just something inherently uh, that humans find inherently absurd and uh, and and silly and surreal. Look, fish. It's just you know Monty Python and um, I have to get this. Uh, Kate Bush called her record label Fish People because she's got exactly that kind of sense. She's just want to call something completely left field. And, and I don't know why, but the human brain, when it's trying to think of something surreal, it will just go to fish. So, so it's really hard to do that sort of stuff mm. without it seeming just really comical, you know, with their fish masks and their fish hats. It's, it's, I don't know why. Why are fish funny? Right into trap one, <laughs> under the sea, Mark's secret cult. <laughs> The, uh, one of the things that, uh, again, I was reading about the, the making of was the, um, I can't remember the guy's name, who was originally down to direct this, um, knew somebody who was working on Thunderball um, at the same time, which is the, the big underwater, kind of you know, the first big underwater Bond adventure, and said, uh, look, this is, this is the story, um, this is the budget, uh, what do you think? Um, and they said, like, you've got absolutely no chance of, of doing this even halfway reasonably. So that was, that's, that's Hugh David who did the Highlander. I think is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think he had first. Little, little, he had the. I think he was offered it and said no. Way. I think yeah. He asked someone at Pine. If I got this right, he asked someone at Pine. Would do this? Said yeah, no chance. Um, but he, but Hugh David came back for the Fury from the Deep. So it's not just a sea based thing. It's um, mm. he obviously saw the script and realised it was as Annika says on the Blu-ray um, on the DVD. Uh, documentary that Trout was a little worried because being a new story he realised it and he was initially excited that it was Atlantis and under the sea that sounded exciting but then realised it was in her own words a bit of a dog <laughs> a dogfish apparently I don't know who knows 
Uh, yeah, this uh, that, that was exactly right. Yeah, so he he chose um, the Highlanders instead, and that pushed Highlanders to the second Trout story, and this one to the third one. Uh, but you'd think with Trout in his name, it would have been um, it would have been something that would have appealed to him. Poor Hugh David, though, one of the few directors that have no surviving episodes. Oh yeah. yeah. And Adam, I saw again. They had Julia Smith as, a, as working on it as well. Uh, she, she directed it. Is that right? I should know this. She did and didn't have a very nice time. Apparently, her and Troughton didn't get on at all. Mm. No, but this is this is Julia Smith of EastEnders fame. You know, f- famously tyrannical. Um, I, I think I, I, so. Again, it was Annika on the documentary said she was not Thatcher like, but. Which is not a good... That's not really how you want to describe anybody. Because they're not like Hitler, but they're... You know, there's no <laughs> but in that. Um, so, she's, um, so, yeah, apparently she was a... She, yeah, she was famously ferocious. And then spoofed beautifully by Victoria Wood on the Acorn Antiques making of documentary, which, let's just put it in the show notes, because this story will suit an Acorn Antiques documentary, I feel. They do. There is. Um, I think it's Annika Wilkes probably who talks about the um, about Julia Smith being in tears at the end of some days. Though it does seem like it was uh, taking oh, production toll on her as well. Um, she, I mean, Annika Wilkes did sort of regret she was part of ganging up on it, doesn't she? She says in one of the um, either the commentary or the um, um, the documentary that she she felt a bit of a uh, shit later. That she'd sort of like gone in with Trout and, and her and Malcolm Grazer sort of like joined in on the picking. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Well, yeah, she, she did alright, Julia yeah. Smith, in the end. Well, until El Dorado, anyway. Oh, God. It's sea based things. What is it? It's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the curse of Amdo, Amdo isn't it? <laughs> May the wrath of Amdo engulf you. That's my new uh, put down for anybody now. <laughs> Hey, wait, is this podcast cursed? Because I really don't need that right now. I think we should be okay. Okay. Well, uh, well Zaroff says, I'll take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> That's really reassuring, Mark. Really reassuring, thanks. <laughs> and Mark, speaking of Bond, this is because I've been doing my, my, uh, my first Bondathon, because I'm not really an expert. Um, yeah. But Mark, this, this chap, Joseph first turns up again, doesn't he? And I now can't remember which one it was. Which Diamond, film he's in, but you will. Diamonds are forever. Um, oh God, I hated that one. Yes, right. Yeah, plays okay. a scientist in that one as well. Yeah, and apparently, I didn't. I, I don't remember this, but apparently, he sort of ended his career on Australian soap, um, Young Doctors, which I remember my mum watching when I was really little. But I, um, I don't remember any characters or anything from it. But apparently, that's where Stephen first ended up. God. Joseph first, not Stephen first. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Babylon Five. He is, isn't he? I was thinking, who's Stephen first? Then, yeah, he was. Uh, he was on Babylon Five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of curses, because that's uh, a lot of people have died from that, haven't they? Uh, who were on Babylon Five? Oh, right. You loads, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Really this sad. is a cursed. This so this <laughs> is a totally cursed episode. All right. <laughs> I'm done with that. Yes. Sorry, just going back to the fish people briefly. You saying like the you know. Supposedly one of the worst uh, uh, monsters, it were. But here's the thing. I was thinking of the other day, because I was just trying to watch it through, imagine what kids were like at the time. And they always say, this is terrible things for me to say now, when I reveal how an awful person I am. But like, you see, you can't fool kids. Kids are so clever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you, you, you can fool them. And they're, not, they're, they're fairly gullible, actually. And, they're fairly, like, and I, I remember vividly being uh, as, watching Genesis of the Daleks, and the thing that scared me the most were the clams, which are now the most, probably down there with another under, undersea monster, which are there, really put there as the most laughable ever. But honestly, when I was a kid, I was petrified. And I went to a, we were on holiday once, and there was, there was a big clam in a shop, one of the sea you know, gift shops. And I would not go in there because there was a clam there. And if you look at it now, it's the most ridiculous thing on earth. So, you know, help me out here. Were there yeah. any monster, Doctor monsters that scared you when you were a kid? I remember when I was a teenager, just hearing one of my friends said, oh, my little brother was terrified of the tetraps. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> and, but, you know, so kids are scared by stuff. So were you, were you guys ever scared by anything that now looks lame? Worse than that, I was scared by the Unigate milk adverts when I was a kid. 
the uh, used to be these adverts which was watch out, watch out for Humphrey about, and the <gasps> multicoloured canes would come off and pull whatever was off the screen. And my little uh, like three year old imagination was imagining all sorts of horrors going on once they've been pulled off the screen. It gave me nightmares for years. They did. Blimey! I never knew they looked like that. You know what they look like? They're sort of like. Do you know what? I remember that. Yeah, I mean, they gave me nightmares of Doctor Who. Good God, that was nothing compared to the horrors of the Unigate milk advert. That's true. What about you, Mark? Come on, you've got some... Did you grow up... When you were an Echo, what Doctor Who was... It was Sylvester McCoy, um, which... It's not not so much a scary thing, but... I, I definitely didn't notice that the kitlings in survival look rubbish... Because when I got the VHS, I was remembering really, really surprised, thinking they, they didn't look like that. Like, I, I remember them as being, you know, like kind of basically totally realistic cats. Um, but yeah, it was just, I just accepted um, uh, what I'd seen, obviously. Maybe I hadn't seen many cats in real life at that point. Um, for me, I think, do you remember uh, Zelda off Terrorhawks? Yes. Uh, I think that was the thing that most scared me as a kid. And that was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it's the genuinely that thing was awful. So that's I think that's fair enough, really. It's yeah, he's cool. got like a full-on Davros. Yeah, yeah. It's more things. reasonable to be scared than that by a multicoloured cane, basically. <laughs> it's still just a puppet. Oh, <laughs> I know I was a kid during the Hinchcliffe years, so I mean I was very wee when they were on, and it was permanently traumatising. That thing, people always turned green. Oh, terrible. Me, me and you both, Keith. I was, I was about to say, it didn't do us any harm, but here we are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, um, speaking of the fish people, according, again, to the complete history, a great deal of the feedback regarding this serial came from girls who liked the ornate Atlantean and fish people costumes and asked where they could obtain such items. So is that a, ma- a marketing opportunity missed? Just get loads and loads of ashtrays from the time to sew them all together. Yeah. I remember. I guess, this is what twenty years before shell suits became fashionable as well, isn't it? Oh, oh. you are too young for dad jokes. For one, God. so young, these jokes are <laughs> just shocking. Have they, have they done a, an eagle moss figure yet of a fish, uh, a fish person? That could be a beautiful thing. I haven't seen one. I don't collect those, but I, I haven't seen one on Twitter or anything. That'd be a magnificent thing. Mm. Oh, I was sent a pirate captain today. It arrived. Oh. Somebody sent to me one, which is rather nice of them. So I now have a pirate captain. Fabulous. Fibuli. Do you subscribe to that, Keith? I didn't realise you collected those. Well, no, I don't usually, but uh, oh. say I've been, um, I got sent one, which is quite nice. So, uh, yes. Right. So when I get to uh, the pirate planet, I'll be able to have a little dolly in front of that. And yeah. When I get back <laughs> to Hinchcliffe years, I'm going to get very uh, scant on dollies for my tableau for my uh, rewatch. So uh, I have to say, Keith, those are bloody excellent. If you're not following uh, Keith on Twitter, A, you're a fool, and B, you've got to check these out. They're, well, I, it's absolutely a highlight, because lots of people in lockdown are doing... Um, you know, various marathons, but I love the way you illustrate yours. You know, you get a little set with them as well, with whatever you've got lying around the house. It's 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 beautiful. Yeah, do you think I've got a wee bit too much time on my hands uh, between ships? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. It's actually, we've got a model lighthouse at work, and I thought, could I sneak in my copy of um, uh, <laughs> Horror of Fang Rock and put it in the back of that I thought, no, better. <laughs> perhaps not. If I got caught doing that, I might get looks. So, <laughs> well, I have to say, it did cross my mind several times. It's a good idea. What? Um, what is it? Just an ornament then, or uh, like a working? Oh no, it's just one of the bathrooms. Just got a model of a uh, lighthouse. But, uh, ah, right. Okay. One of the random things they put into these places. But uh, yeah, but I suddenly thought, oh, that could be useful. And I thought, no, don't do that. But I have to say, since I've got this pirate captain, I'm thinking, keep thinking, actually, they are rather good, aren't they? So yeah. it might have created a monster. Yeah, they are They are really addictive, those things. I've, yeah, I've, I've been reading on my uh, account. <laughs> oh, there we go. They are beautiful, though. The TARDIS console, I've got one of them so far, but I plan to get the um, the other two of those that are out. I think they're yeah, lovely. Oh, lovely. I pre-ordered the uh, secondary control room one. Oh, is it? I've so just seen that. Is that yeah? Um, so yeah, that's um, coming. 
That's very tempting. I need to get the five doctors one first, though. I think this is a very revealing discussion about the underwater menace, to be honest. But as the doctor says, you and I have other fish to fry. Yeah. I feel oh. like that was a. Tra- I think that was got to be a been a trout ad lib. It felt yeah. like an ad lib. The script felt it felt like it really woke up at that point, and I was just like, ah, I wonder if that's a trout ad lib. But yeah, well, but yes, give us a fish people figure, you cowards. <laughs> I mean, trout is still quite odd at this point. He's not quite as weird as he was in um, Highlanders, but he, it's amazing how long it takes for him to settle down to what we think is the second Doctor. And people say oh, he's sort of like, uh, he's sort of like, he finalises his um, his characterization in Underwater Minutes. I don't think he does. He's still quite strange in it. Mm. Yeah, you're I right. just don't think he appears as over the top as all the rest of the characters. He's just um, slightly dwarfed by them, but he's still not quite um, the second Doctor we know and love. Yeah, I think people sort of say that it, it, when he's up against um, Joseph First, who's he's playing it very big, that he, he plays it small, and then that uh, kind of uh, feeds into the rest, the characterization for the rest of his run. Um, I think when he says to Zaroff, um, "Why do you want to blow up the world?" That's that feels very Troutony and and you know absolutely on character for him. It's uh, it's great the way he asks him. It's just kind of a really. Uh, kind of casual, almost innocent way, isn't it, of, of asking him? Like, uh, yeah. like a, almost kind of Louis through type thing when he's, uh, he's just saying, well, uh, yeah. wait, wait, why do you want to blow up the world? Yeah. And he's definitely Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But it's about the second story, I think, in a row, third story in a row where he's been described as Doctor Who. So the production team in those times had no doubt that he's Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah that's true. And he, and he does get some real stuff that we later sort of come to associate with being a very Troughton thing. He does a lot of tinkering around in the background and cre- there, there are sort of shots where he just sort of, he's just sort of creeping along behind everybody and that's, that becomes very him. And there's that lovely shot where he pulls out a plug and then turns around and puts his finger in his mouth and it was sort of, oops, <laughs> yeah. sort of like, he, like no one else can do, the most beautiful childlike thing ever. So, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely, everything about this is, is sort of in, it's all, it's all just, it's all, everything's shifting. You know, you've got Jamie coming in and that's sort of off balance, balancing off the uh, companions and the scripts are getting all shunted around and Tram's trying to, is, 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 is the hardest translator's not working because they all try different languages. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, think I love um, that. I love that. Go on, Polly, you speak foreign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you daft racist. <laughs> I, Jamie's not quite there yet. Either is he... Um, no. he's the that sort of comedy double act that he has with Troughton that, that comes later um, isn't, I mean they don't get a lot of time on screen together here either um, but he's not quite he's not quite there he's, he's a bit more kind of self-assured I think in this one if anything than than he is in the later ones why is he there at all he does next to nothing in Highlanders he's hardly in so he must have it just must have been Troughton just saying look this is my friend we get on really well, bring him into the series. There's no other reason for to be there. He makes no impression in Highlanders, really. Mm. Not any more than any of the characters. And then suddenly he's made a companion. Yeah, it's quite credible. This is Fraser Hines' personality because he's got a little bit of personality in there. That must be behind he's a shy, the retiring chap. Yeah, it must be behind the scenes. He can't possibly be yeah. from, well, it can't be from audience reaction because he was brought on board before. I mean, it was, uh, it was recorded before it, um, it went out, wasn't it? So, uh, but, it must purely, they must have been having such a good time because they don't share any scenes together hardly in the show either. So it must have been purely from rehearsals. They thought, he's a laugh, let's bring him in. Yeah, I think they'd acted together once before. Yeah, so they've got history. Um, in a, a Dickens adaptation or something like that? Something, I was, I think it was something parody, was it? Um, I can't remember what it was, and I can't remember where I read it now. Um, I think it's like Smuggler's Cove or something like that. Yeah, maybe it was something like that. Yeah, they do have one moment where where Troughton and uh, uh, Jamie and Ben they, their heads appear above a wall and they've all got their fish masks on. You know, that's that was like that feels like a Troughton yeah. moment. But it's just like, and it, but it, it actually feels it, that's a little moment where you go, oh yeah, Jamie and you know Jamie and the Second Doctor become something, and it sort of almost seems odd. Ben tagging along with it, do you know what I mean? It's like it's you. I can start to feel moments of. 
of, of uh, like Ben starts off really fairly confidently, sort of teasing Jamie a lot and showing him the ropes. You know, like, oh yeah, we don't know where we're going. Yeah, we better go out first because you know this is what we do and all this sort of stuff. And then it just turns and gradually the lines start to get split up. And it's like the old men in the seventies who worked in factories. You had to like show the robots how to do their jobs. It's like, it's <laughs> like he's showing like he's replacing yeah. what to do. It must have been so galling for him. Yeah, and and you can and and he's and you know Fraser has just got you know I I've loved Michael Craze and Ben Ben as you well know uh, I'm well documented in being a very very big Ben fan but um, there's no two ways about it like Fraser Hines has just got a lot of personality and it, it does you know him being Scottish and in the kilt and the rapport he eventually you know he gets with Troughton it, it's it's really sad to see but you can see it that Jamie just is just a fuller full of personality which yeah. is a shame it just makes me very very sad because Ben and Polly I love them so dearly they're good and the, they do get a great bit with uh, Jamie's in the scene as well but it's kind of more between the Doctor and Ben when the Doctor's disguised um, and Ben's pretending to be the guard who's interrogating him and he's saying that oh, yeah. it's strange you come this way and the Doctor's going well was he uh, about five foot nine wearing this and then they have a, a kind of a, a nice little laugh together about that um, yeah, but I know what you mean. It, it it is like Jamie's gradually starting to eclipse the other two, isn't it? Um, yeah. Ah, showbiz kids, yeah. it's yeah. tough out there. <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm just going to say as well. Told me you were doing fish puns. I'd have thought of something. <laughs> I see. See, I knew Mark would have this covered. He has gone totally down the dad joke route. We need to. This is basically a big <laughs> intervention for Mark. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, I know my place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to also just put a couple of weird spots in there. I'm sure I saw a rel counter in there, in all the in all the technical bits in the background in the in the lab. There look there's something that looks suspiciously like a rel counter. It's the same prop, one of those wonderful. Um, uh, what are those things? From uh, it's from that uh, YouTube. We do the history of the. Um, the Dalek movies. It's, they actually, I think they actually say it's, it's hired. It's the same prop hired from um, this thing that does like computer panels and stuff like that. And they, it's exactly the same prop from the film. Oh, there we go. That's well spotted. Like so, dig, digging and, for stuff here. And, and how nice for uh, John Q to take a picture of it for us. What a legend! Why don't we just kept yeah. snapping them and winding the film, snapping and winding the film? Because some of the things he'd take a picture of are pretty random. I mean, like, the shark is on the screen for ages. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think maybe he'd wait until there was an actor or somebody doing something, but... It's... <laughs> then I suppose, I suppose it's like... It, I suppose the scene was all just changed. Like, he, he, was just, he was just snapping this live off the telly, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. he must have, I mean, he can't have known what was going to happen, could he? So he must have been... Yeah, there mm. must have been times where he just, like, hit you know, press the button and then the camera has just changed. And... Plus, he must have done other shows. He can't possibly have gone out. He must spend his entire life taking <laughs> photographs of television. <laughs> to be honest, this lockdown's gone on that long. I'm not far off that myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I've done the same for me. Uh, Twitter, I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're, it's all good. We're all good. It's anything that gets you through this. We're like, we're all watching The Underwater Menace. This is, this is how far we've gone. <laughs> give us another give us, give us another three months we'll be recreating it yeah that was a joke Mark I am absolutely not recreating this <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get some sequins and some <laughs> thanks Sam <laughs> I wish I could get something I was just like um, I, I'm gonna put, let's fuck it let's put it out there um, so in the market I think uh, we do get our first canonical appearance of the sonic sunglasses yes let's just put that there only joking, the Sonic sunglasses never existed, ever, ever at all. Um, there we go. Let's say that's the first appearance of the Sonic, and that'll give something to talk about on the Twitters. Yeah, I'm happy to. I, that's, um, that's good headcanon, yeah. I think. Buy that? Yeah, definitely. Cheers. This story needs everything it can get. <laughs> yeah, because the other thing I was, just, um, I was just thinking about before is that they could put in the animation is Zaroff's pet octopus which he talks about but we don't get to see so you can get oh, some, yes. uh, get, get, get that in there as well it really should have eaten him at the end shouldn't it I mean him drowning is really quite horrible if a mm. giant great octopus have eaten him it would have been far more entertaining yeah absolutely 
that yeah. would have been more of like a because he's kind of like a Bond villain, isn't he? That would have been a more Bond villain end to him as well than the uh, definitely of, of just drowning. Um, the last episode, if you think about all those people drowning, it's incredibly grim, and in, in a way, it's, it's not really. I mean, the characters have been sort of over the top and silly, sort of become quite uh, wistful by the end, don't they? And mm. one chap says, "There'll be no more religions, going to be no more fish people," which is a bit ironic because he was the person turning people into fish people. Yeah, so but presumably they didn't drown; they've just swam away. Oh no, they're all right. It's just the uh, regular humans who all died. Yeah. Um, although we can't see it, I assume that's they've kind of lost everything there. Um, and, and but I wonder how they did it because I mean, flooding a city must have been hell of a, uh, a strain on the budget. So whether they use well, models to just um, overlay water over the shots, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, that's something I would like to know how they did. A continent as well, not just a city, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, they describe it as a continent, I think. Or just the few sets we see. How did they do it? Mm. Oh, actually, Keith, you've just reminded me that something that I thought was really good is in, in that bizarre um, the fish people ballet sequence where they're all you know, zooming around to 60s electronica. Um, it's, it's actually there's a really good effect of the bubbles uh, coming up. It, look, it looks like it's it, it's great. It looks really, really good. There's these sort of little where they just shot it through a, a tank or something on the other side. But it looks really good. I have to sort of. I was like, "Oh, that's a good bit. The bubbles are good." I love that whole scene. I've got this wonderful memory of that when it was. I think I was given this for Christmas by my beloved at the time, and we watched it quite drunk, and we shrieked with laughter through that bit. It was a glorious moment. <laughs> I've still got affection for this story because of that to this day. So I mean, yeah, nostalgia affected things. Modern nostalgia. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That there is, there's something about that sequence, and it is definitely a sequence. It's like we're going to do a thing here, mm-hmm. um, and it is. You can only kind of marvel at it because it's, it's it's bonkers and surreal, and the music is just so strange. It 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 it, it almost takes off. It almost. It, I think it does actually for a little while. I just think for for a moment, you just like you go into this dream sequence, and it's it's possible, but it's it's kind of a welcome relief, weirdly, in this. Funny old story. You expect to see Stingray in the background. What was that, sorry? You expect to see Stingray in the background. Absolutely. And I've got to say, I do love, um, you know, it doesn't always work, but you think, you know, the web planet equally could have been really, really ropey, but the ambition on that, and that was a lot earlier on and when they were still really figuring stuff out, and they were like, right, let's have millions of different flying insects and all kinds of things that shouldn't have worked. And it I mean, I think Web Planet is incredible. It really, really is atmospheric. It's just insanely ambitious, but really works. So I, I, you know, you do have to kind of say, you know, absolute kudos to the ambition of it. And Doctor Who should always be ambitious. I'd, I'd always rather have something that was ambitious and a bit bonkers than something that was just cynical and boring. So and Julie Smith pulls it off as well. I mean, she she actually managed to put onto screen something other directors said it couldn't be done. So yeah, fair play. Kudos for her for that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, have, um, it, it does remind me a bit of the word planet, like that. Like you say, they are they're aiming for something, and uh, there is a huge amount of ambition there, isn't it? So, yeah, and I'd always rather Doctor Who do that. Always, like I'd, I'd much rather it shot for something and fell flat on its face. And it's much better directed than the Web Planet. So, good luck to it on that front. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't okay. saying much. The Web Planet, well directed. Same resources, just like things in shot. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and and the sound effects added that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> that might have be. We, have, have we beached? <laughs> have we have we come adrift or whatever? Yeah. I'm just desperately <laughs> use some kind of undersea thing for saying <laughs> we've dehydrated this podcast. Yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going down the drain. Oh no! Okay, don't say that. So, 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 no. Listen. What about these 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 actual vinyl things? Because Mike, you've done mm-hmm. a few of these reviews of these. I know you've you've got a couple, and you've got the Abominable Snowmen one the other day, didn't you? Is that I, right? Yeah. Um, I thought I'd use the petrol money I'm not spending uh, for the time <laughs> being to uh, to buy some of these vinyls, and um, I love the Abominable Snowmen. So yeah, I bought that oh, one. Uh, they're such beautiful sets. Um, the, the the artwork, the packaging, the the discs themselves with the uh, the, the, the patterns on, 
Um, is this the first one? Is was that the first one you've bought or the first one you've got? Uh, no, I got um, the Galaxy Four um, when that came up for Record Store Day last year. Nice. Um, and this one because when we reviewed the Abominable Snowmen vinyl last year, they were knocking around the eighty quid mark. Um, is this the Underwater Men? It seems to be how much 40, 40 quid or under. Uh, no, I think this one's about 20, 28, 27, 28. Um, Is that just because it's this story or if, yeah, what's, what's with that? Do you think you we want this disc one? Yeah, it's four episodes. Um, <sighs> Thank you. The, uh, yeah, the bonus one is over three discs. Um, and you can get that for £45 now. Um, All right. And I guess it comes with that bit more, more packaging. It's in a, it's in a box rather than a gatefold sleeve. I mean, that's not obviously worth <laughs> that much more to pay for it. But uh. but I remember when I got my uh, Genesis of the Daleks album for Christmas all those years ago, I remember thinking, oh, this will be the start of lots of Doctor Who records. So I was kind of right. I just hadn't realised it was going to be like 40 years later. <laughs> yeah. It's a long game, this Doctor Who lark, isn't it? Yeah. It certainly is. I'm just trying to work out if they animated the stories of the uh, sort of like the way they're doing it now how old I'll be when we get all the snob. But getting towards my dotage, I think, if we keep it on this, yeah, especially at the moment, because there's nothing announced yet beyond um, uh, Fury from the Deep, is there? So, for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah. there's a massive delay. It's going to take a while for us to get a full set of everything. Yeah, there's yeah. a stepping up to two a year, though. That might, um, if that continues, that, that'll speed things along a little bit. And season, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, season four is um, is not a million miles away from being done. I'm just trying. I'm just looking here. They've got I mean, the Highlanders to do. Mm-hmm. Evil of the Eve of the Daleks. Oh yes, smugglers. So smugglers. Highlanders. Eve of the Daleks and two episodes of this. Yeah, it's a fair old bit, isn't it? But you know, not not. It's. It, I mean, the fact where it's even possible, or we're looking at it as a possibility, is is a beautiful thing. Definitely, yeah, because um, I think the only historical they've animated so far is um, uh, the Reign of Terror, isn't it? So it's, they don't seem in a, in a hurry to um, to animate those ones compared to the... Uh, they're the they're definitely not in a hurry to animate the Highlanders, all that time. They, every time you... <laughs> every single time there's an interview with anybody, they're just like, yeah, we don't want to do the Highlanders, with one exception... Uh, Fraser Hines, who's, they always ask him like, what, if you if you to be animated, which which story would it be? And he's like Highlanders. So <laughs> at some point they're going to have to figure out this tartan thing. I've noticed they've stopped putting Troughton's handkerchief in his pocket. Simply yeah. they can reverse it round. So they're obviously just giving up on accuracy just for ease of animation. Yeah, because before because they, they couldn't uh, flip the image, could they? They'd reuse one because of the pocket, like uh, That's right, mass. yeah. Danger Mouse's eye patch as soon as you realised they couldn't they reverse the image so I've noticed they've just given up on that so it's quite weird when you watch uh, Faceless Ones he's got his uh, handkerchief then it disappears when you animation then it pops back again when you're back on the film ah, that's brilliant I've never noticed that now you won't be able to see anything else that's good <laughs> yeah and then the uh, the next final release after this one is The Massacre which is out for Record Store Day um, which I think would have happened by now uh, if not for the lockdown. Is now out in August. Ah, well, that'll be a jolly laugh for a lockdown, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a fun romp, isn't it? Oh my god, <laughs> I did. I struggled with that one as well. I have to say, with the grand rewatch, it's don't get me wrong. It's brilliantly acted. It's brilliantly written. Blah blah blah. But it's it's not a very um, fun. No, you could also argue it's not really Doctor Who either because a the Doctor's not eating. Stephen could be anybody. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a nice drama. It's just possibly with the wrong title. Mm. That's why I'd rather choose Fish People. In fact, that's why I did. Yeah, let's vote for Fish People. Let's go with Fish People. I, I have to yeah, say, like you could, I still feel fond of this story. It's a daft old thing. I just can't help feeling fond of it because it's, because it's daft. Um, it's a shame the script isn't, isn't. It is all over the place, and the mm. production's clearly all over the place. But Some people say it's boring, but I can't say I found it boring. No. Bizarre, but I never yeah. found it boring. Yeah, it's not boring, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased it's there. And I, I think Joseph First is, is brilliant in it as well. Um, <laughs> you, um, he, he has your attention the whole time he's on the screen. <laughs> that's for sure. 
You've got big eyebrows, you've got people dressed as fish, you've got silly hats. I mean, what more do you want? Yes, I mean, the I'll costumes take, are, yeah, mad. I'll take that over Highlanders any day. Yeah. And there this, we go, uh, we love the Onto the Wonderful Menace, I love that. And some of the, there's some really good moments as well. Obviously, everybody quotes the, uh, you know, you're not turning me into a fish and nothing in the world can stop me now. But the, um, uh, when um, Zaroff's railing against the king and he's saying, uh, you know, like, um, I've promised you to raise Atlantis and goes, haven't I, haven't I? <laughs> And he says to the king, what are you staring at? And he goes, oh, no, nothing, nothing, it's fine. Uh, you just read the king's face, you're barking man. Yeah. yeah. And again, I guess that's the thing about, it. you know, maybe uh, the, the, you know, madness is a fairly recent thing. It's just that we haven't seen that, um, that deterioration. Uh, yeah, we just, yeah, we just join him in full. Yeah. Mad as a fish. Well, um, you must have always intended to destroy the planet. You can't just suddenly change your research to destroying a planet, can you? You can't sort of like be inventing a new type of thermometer and suddenly decide, I know I could destroy the world. Mm. Maybe that's my idea. That would explain why he, maybe he was halfway through inventing the fridge and just went, <laughs> I know, and just got, got sidetracked. Yeah. So we've even explained why they can't invent refrigeration. We've done a good job on this story. Mm. They should put this in the Blu-ray. That's <laughs> it was just too hard to invent the fridge. You gave up, so I'll just kill everyone instead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the other bit I liked um, was when um, the doctor's talking to the king um, and he says, mad, and he sort of knocks on his own head yeah. and he goes, no answer. And then he goes, sad. Um, which <laughs> is like the end of one of Donald Trump's tweets, isn't it? I was going to say, Trout Tra- would go storm on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, to be fair, when we're recording this, we are in the middle of probably the... A really, really horrible time, aren't we? The last few days have been absolutely appalling. So mm. I think the underwater menaces have been a nice sort of uh, deviation away from the, uh, the genuinely horrible world we're in at the moment. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. That's uh, that's what we need Doctor Who for. Um, that's what the, why these tweet-alongs have been so great, I think, as well, that um, Emily Cook's organised have been um, you know, a really good way of uh, you know, kind of bringing everyone together and... Um, Good bit of escapism and distraction, haven't they? Definitely. They stop making videos. They're all heartbreaking. That one about the Sarah Jane. I was in floods by the end of that. And same with that one with uh, the Captain on the other day. That was uh, really heartrending as well. Yeah. When we went all went into this whole lockdown scenario, it was it was it was really. You suddenly realised a lot of people were sort of scrabbling around trying to find a sort of network and you realise with Doctor Who we've just we're totally here it's all set up you know all of the lines of communication like all the different platforms you know audio online you've got YouTubers everything there's this whole network and we've got it ready there so it's been that's, that's been really really good and is it just me or are people being slightly nicer at the moment in the Who world as well well I just block everybody I don't like <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm, I'm a very keen blocker just block a troll immediately so my timeline's pretty sweet yeah, same, yeah. Well, I have been a wee bit competitive with the old uh, rewatch. I have to say, I've got a friend, Jackie, and I'm sort of like I'm miles ahead of her. And I'm saying, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got more time on my hands. No, I've got more time on my hands. <laughs> I've got a full-time job, and I'm still ahead of her. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> end of the day, we're all losers. That's as that's as deep a dive as we as I've got. Ah, very good. Water menace. Thanks, love. Ah. <laughs> 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 that, that was the sound of Keith just underwater, just disappearing under. We can just see his hand now as he disappears under the water. <laughs> a little wave. A little wave. Well, cheers, guys. Thank you for Thank you. Uh, revisiting the underwater menace. Anytime. See for the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. We'll be talking about the animation hopefully in a couple of years. Yay. Uh, where can our listeners find you to on Twitter? I remain 50DW50, which is getting seriously out of date now. And I'm at Hair of the Hound underscore. It's great. You can find me on Twitter as at Quark McMalice. The podcast is at Trap1 underscore. And you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.